Well, hello, ladies. Did everyone have a good day, good week so far? Yes? A resounding yes? No? <laughs> Thanks, Sheridan. She's got my back. <laughs> I know. She's got me. My girl. <laughs> One of them. Um, well, I just, I'm super excited about what God's been showing me because it's been a whirlwind around our house lately. And um, I know for me, I like savor time with God in the morning, like before everybody gets up with my husband wakes up early. I'm like, mm. <laughs> like I literally am like you, you're not supposed to be up yet. This is my time. <laughs> but God had been, um, showing me just some words lately more than anything. And, um, I've learned this from my pastor is to like, look up the meaning of words. And so many times, like the meaning of a word goes back to like a root word and then it goes back to like the Greek or the Latin. And there's just so much um, just richness in words. And I'm a word person. I love quotes. I love writing. I love reading. Um, my friends call me a total geek because I like under I, I can think of a word or something or I know the meaning of a weird word. But um, one of the words that God brought to me that I think are the world throws around a lot, like meaning it means something to the world than what it means to God is the word inspiration. So I know what I thought inspiration meant that, well, I see this work of art and it it's inspirational, or I hear this speaker and they're inspirational or, um, you know, somebody's quote inspires me or somebody doing like a really cool, like athletic feat is inspiring. And even I was talking to Sheridan today and she was telling me about how, um, you know, doing something inspired other kids that were around her and stuff. But, um, what I was, I, I, so I dug into that word. Okay. I've dug into what the meaning, what the definition of inspiration is. And my favorite source to look up words on is the Merriam-Webster um, dictionary. And because it's like one of the oldest dictionaries that we have in like the U.S. language or English language. So a lot of words that maybe um, weren't over in Great Britain before we became a country here in U.S. It's in this in this book. But um, inspiration is defined as an inspiring agent or influence, the quality or state of being inspired, or the act of drawing in, like a breath of air. Um, but the history of the word is actually a whole lot cooler than just those three little definitions there. So this is also from Merriam-Webster. It says, inspiration has an unusual history and that its figurative sense appears to predate its literal one. It comes from the Latin inspiratus, the past participle of inspirare, if anybody knows what that means, to breathe into or to inspire. And in English, um, it has the meaning of drawing air into the lungs, which was part of that definition since the middle of the 16th century. Um, this breathing sense is still common. In, it's still in common use among doctors, such as like you say, expiration for breathing out and inspiration for breathing in. Um, however, before inspiration was used to refer to breath, it had a distinctly theological meaning in English, referring to a divine influence upon a person from a divine entity. 
And this sense dates back to the early 14th century. The sense of inspiration often found today, someone or something inspires me, is considerably newer and then either of these two senses dating from the 19th century. So literally and figuratively, it's saying that the, the original meaning of this word is divine breath or God's breath. And you may be asking, okay, so what does that mean? And I, um, I went to the word to find out. And we'll go to 2 Timothy 3.16. And Lindsay's going to bring it up on the board tonight because we've got a whole lot of scripture that we're going to go through actually tonight. Um, me and Lindsay were up there for a while. And at one point I thought that it was 2 Timothy 5. And we were looking through there and there is no 2 Timothy 5. So it's 2 Timothy 3.16. And it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what it's saying there is that the word of God, our Bible, is the inspiration of God. It is the breath of God, literally. God breathed, and this, the men who wrote the Bible wrote down what it was, which... I don't know about you, but I just love to even think about that. And when I think of the breath of God, I think of something living, which is what our word is, right? It's living. It's a living document, meaning that it has the power to change people's lives, to set people free, to revive the dead, right? And also, it also makes me think of the other definition of inspiration is to breathe in. So it's reviving something that may have been dead. Um... So with that, the world likes to throw out the word inspiration very easily. Like this person inspired me, you know, this song inspired me, but God wants you and I to understand what inspiration means. And I think I like to use it carefully because I want to use it the way that God meant it to be used, right? I don't know about you, but I like to use words the way that they're correctly meant to be used because otherwise you sound like an idiot, right? No. <laughs> uh, but I think the word that the world needs to use instead of inspiration, I think they need to use the word motivation. So everybody's heard of like a motivational speaker, right? Or you've heard of um, like, uh, you know, somebody just motivated me to work out or that workout video I saw online motivated me to get up in early in the morning to work out. So I think that the word motivation actually defines the way that the world throws around inspiration. So the definition of motivation is the act or process of motivating the condition of being motivated, a motivating force, stimulus or influence, which those definitions are dumb. Like, I'm like, you use the word motivation in all of your definitions. I don't know why. But to me, I define motivation as an outside force um, coercing or manipulating or putting pressure on you to change, right? So, like, seeing that person 
like look good in a bathing suit. You're like, that's motivation for me to get in the gym, right? Or that, you know, um, that person spending time with their kids, man, that's motivation for me to unplug and to sit down with my kids and play, right? So the thing about motivation though, is that it's based on our feelings. It's based on our emotions so many times. And with that, just like our emotions, me and Becky were talking a little bit about emotions or feelings before, that they're fleeting, And many times they're unreliable, right? Like, I mean, you can be up here at one point and somebody says one word to you and then you are down here. They're unreliable. It's based on an outside force that many times we don't have control over, right? We can't always control what is motivating us and we can be motivated for good things or we can be motivated towards bad things. And the other thing that... I was thinking about is like, they can be useful. Like it is useful to use motivators to change behavior or to get started in something, but they can also be corruptible. And meaning that they might have an agenda behind them or there might be something that it looks good right now, but in the end it's not good. And so I look at, at inspiration, comparing the word inspiration to motivation as inspiration is like that long game. Like God sees it all. He knows the, the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. Like he knows the whole, he knows the long game and motivation is more temporal. It's right now the short game. And it's so many times that's, it's the easier way to, it's our comfort zone. It's our, like, it feels good. And, um, and many times what I've seen motivation, how it's shown up in my life is outside forces like, Hey, you should do this. You should start this Bible study or you should, do this women's event, or you should be doing this. Candace, like, why don't we do this, you know? And so many times as, like, the women's leader, I'm like, yeah, that sounds amazing. Maybe I should, like, and I'll start, like, getting into that, like, yeah, like, and then I start to, like, get overwhelmed, really. And many times I'm like, then I have, like, a freak out moment, and I call Lynette, and she gets to talk to me on the phone for an hour. (laughs) No, but many times it's God didn't tell me to do it. There's a fly that's bugging me. Um, he didn't inspire me to do something, even though it's a good thing, right? Like all of those things are great things, but was I led by God to do it? Was it a God thing? And Lynette's told me this before. Is it a God thing or is it a good thing? Because the good thing, it's still a good thing. And even if you do it, maybe good things will still come on it. But a God thing, God his provision goes with you. He walks with you through it. When you hit resistance, he gives you the weapons or the tools to get through it, right? So that's what I want. I want the God things. I want to go with God when I do things, right? And I want God's inspiration. I want his breath living inside of me. And the other thing too is, is when we get born again, we get Holy Spirit inside of us. Like that is God breathing and living inside of us right there and then. Um, so, so, so many times um, that happens. Like we think, oh yeah, like I think God told me to do this. I should do this, you know? And we're like, but I don't know if it's like God, if it's God's inspiration or if it's the world's motivation or coercion or manipulation or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I wrote some things down because I've been in these instances very many times. (laughs) And um, the first off is that it will always align itself with the word of God. 
So whatever maybe you feel like doing or maybe somebody brought it up to you or somebody asked you to do it with them or, you know, you see something online and you're like, that's so cool. Like, I want to do that too. So many times we're like, it feels good. Like, yeah, this is exciting. Like, I want to do this. But does it line up with the word of God? And if it is from God, if it is God's breath inspiring you to do something, it will always line up with the word of God. Like, I, there is no exceptions. Like it's going to line up with the word of God and Holy Spirit will never inspire someone to act or do something outside of the word of God. So if you want to know if it's Holy Spirit, check the word of God, right? Um, next, this one is like on, I, I have to be careful with the way that I say it because again, like I was talking about emotions and feelings, so many times they are corruptible or they're temporal or they're up and down and you can't completely rely on them. But does it move you? Um, when something gets brought up to you, does it move you like in your soul? It's hard to explain without focusing on the feelings, but maybe you feel like a burning in your soul or a breaking of your heart. Um, I know what's happening all over the world right now. You see images online and I mean like it breaks my heart to see people handing up their little babies and soldiers grabbing them by the arms to bring them over like a barbed wire fence in Afghanistan. Like that breaks my heart. And so many times like, man, God will come up behind that and be like, Hey, like give here or do this here, you know? And, um, but many, many times that's something that maybe God's inspiring you to do something when it breaks your heart, when it moves you. But also with that, pray on it. Like, bring it to God and pray on it. Don't just go and do just because it broke your heart at that moment. Like, I just want to urge you with that. Like, pray on it, bring it to God. And um, so many times he will give you confirmation, whether it's through his word, which is awesome. But sometimes, you know, like for that exact thing, you're like, I'm not finding it or something like that. Or maybe it'll come through another person, maybe they're like, man, like I saw this today and this is what God showed me. And you're like, that's how I've been feeling. Like, I don't know how many times that's happened to me, which I love that too. Or signs and wonders and miracles happen and they open doors. And there's things that you're like, there's no way I would have thought this would have ever happened. And God opened this door and now I'm going to wherever, you know, or I'm going to go serve here or I'm a, I've got this job now. And now I, I want to like, you know, dive into this, um, school or whatever, you know? Um, but so many times that that's like that confirmation that you're waiting for. God opens doors. He gives you provision. He gives you favor with people that you never would have saw before. And then finally, like I said before, if God is inspiring you to do it, his provision to help maintain it and sustain it will go with you. Whether that's provision is financial materials, knowledge, wisdom. And many, many times it's people that come with you and they do it with you and they have the same vision as you and they have the same calling on their lives as you. And they're like, yeah, you're going to go do that. Heck yeah. That's what it's been on my heart too. And that's God bringing people along with you. Um, so with that, when I was like thinking about this word and I was thinking about the compare and contrast to motivation and inspiration, um, God just kept bringing it to my mind of the story of Nehemiah. And has anybody read Nehemiah in like the last month? You can raise your hand. Yeah, you're always, you and I are always like on the same thing. But Nehemiah is a really cool story. Um, if you've never got to read it, it's 
it's short. It's like 12 chapters and it's actually really good. It reads really good. It doesn't have like all these crazy, it has a little bit of genealogy, but it's like short and you can get through it, but it's got a great story of perseverance of God's inspiration of God's vision. And I mean, just bringing it to the enemy when it comes to, which I like that as well. But Nehemiah was, um, actually he was a captive or he, I think he was actually born in captivity. Cody could probably tell me in, um, Persia and he was the king and I could say his name possibly, but it's like Archaxerxes, Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes. And he was the cupbearer and the cupbearer to the king was actually like a very noble, um, trusted person in the kingdom. Like it wasn't just handed out to anybody. It was a very trusted thing because he was the one that oversaw the king's table, but also he tasted the wine or whatever was given to the king before the king tasted it just because of enemies wanting to poison the king, right? Um, but a very trusted and noble person. And which I always think is cool because God's favor always rests on people, even if they're in like bad situations like Nehemiah was. So in Nehemiah 1, 3, Lindsay's going to bring it up on the screen there. Um, Nehemiah was getting news from somebody that is coming back from Jerusalem. And I want you guys to take note, Nehemiah has never been to Jerusalem. He is a Jew, but he's living in Persia. He was born there. This is where he's at. And he's never met the people in Jerusalem. But he, his heart, I could tell, was in Jerusalem, even though he's never been there and he's never met those people. Um, so he hears news um, from somebody coming from there. And, it, and they said to me, to Nehemiah, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is all broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and I mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who, who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. So he gets this news and it breaks his heart. And just like I talked about, like many times what God's inspiring to do is we get news or we learn about something or we get understanding from something and it moves us. It maybe moves us. It breaks our heart or it fires us up or we just have some kind of something down deep. Like I don't want to just rely totally on feelings, but you know that it, it, it shocks you when it happens, right? So he gets that. And then he prays and he prays to God and he, he refers to God's word. And so he said, it's in um, Nehemiah 1.8 we're going to next. It says, remember, I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest parts of heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. So I love that Nehemiah takes the word of God and it's not like God needs remembrance of his word, but 
when we speak the word of God back to God, it's like, it's like that covenant, like back and forth. I don't, and I also think that it tells the angels like, hey, remember this? This is a promise that you made to me. And so I am speaking this back to God. And it's like that remembrance. Um, so Nehemiah is bringing that up. Like, hey God, when you said that if we turn away from you, you're gonna scatter us across the, the earth. But if we come back to you, you're going to gather us up here and you're going to bring us to your dwelling place. And in the Old Testament, the dwelling place of God was the temple of God. And right now, the temple of God is not a safe place. Like the walls of Jerusalem are torn down. They're in a rubble, right? So any enemy can come in um, and take take that place. Um, so Nehemiah is like, we've got we to do something about this because this is God's dwelling place. Um, so from there, he knew the word of God and he was asking God like, okay, this is where we're going. And then he asked for confirmation from God, just like I was talking about with, um, so many times when God inspires us to do something is we're going to ask for confirmation from God or confirmation from maybe something happening around us or some outside thing. But this is, comes in to and um, Nehemiah 2, and it says, It came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, I don't know if I'm still saying that, when wine was before him, that I, t- <laughs> I'm trying, that I took the wine and I gave it to the king. And now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. So he's afraid to bring up what's on his heart to the king, right? Okay, so from there, may the king, oh wait, so I became dreadfully afraid and I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. So he's telling the king what happened to Jerusalem. Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I might rebuild it. And then the king said to me, and the queen also sitting beside him, which I think that's cool that they put that in there. How long will your journey be? And when will you return? And so it pleased the king to send me, and I sent him a time. So God, God gave him confirmation through the king letting him go. And I mean, if you remember... This was his cupbearer. Like, this is somebody that he trusts. It was almost like a councilman to him. Like, if you think of, like, in our government, the president has his councilman. This is a councilman to the king. Like, it's one of his trusted advisors. It's somebody that he really trusts that he's like, okay, I'm sending you away. I don't know what's going to happen to you, but I'll let you go. So this was a big deal that the king was letting him go. It was confirmation that what God had inspired Nehemiah to do was the right thing to do, right? And so... Um, we're going to skip down to um, 7. Um, and looking at Nehemiah 2, 7 through 9. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through it till I come to Judah. So they're going to give him safe passage. And the letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he might he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. And the King granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. So again, 
God gave him finances, provision to go and do the thing that God or that God was asking him to do, that he was inspiring him to do again, right? Um, and he went out with people. He, God's, or the king sent him with captains of the army and horsemen. Um, so he gets to Jerusalem and he goes and checks out the wall and it's exactly how he was told that it's, it's just a pile of rubble. It was burnt down. It's just a pile of totally, you know, like not, not a wall, definitely. So he's going to build a wall. And what I looked up is this wall was, um, eight feet wide and, I don't, I don't remember where I saw it. I thought I wrote it down, but I didn't. It's very, it's a very big wall. It's like eight feet wide. And do you remember how tall it is? Yeah, it's a big wall, like big enough for probably eight feet wide, like a chariot to go through and ride around. Like this is no little chain link fence, right? Okay. So this is a big feat. And like, that's the thing too, is like, man, like God doesn't play small, (laughs) Like, he's like, we're going to build a wall. We're going to build a good one, right? Um, so the the cool thing is, is he gets to Jerusalem, and then he's talking to people, and he's telling them what he's going to do. Like, right here in 17, so I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also the king's word that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. And then they set their hands to this good work. So he has all the people coming in to build, just like what God, um, God said he would give them, right? Provision and people to do the work with you. So something that I see here, and before I get too far into um, how I was going to end this, is that God's provision will be there. So he sends the people, he gives them the tools, he gives them the timber, he gives them safe passage, he does all these things. They still have to pick up a shovel, right? (laughs) They still have to get the... I don't know what they used for masonry back then, the mud or whatever. They still had to set the bricks. They still had to set the concrete or whatever they're using as the paste for the the bricks, right? They still had to do the work even, but God gave them all those things. And so many times we're like, man, this just isn't working out for me because it's so hard. I don't want to do this. This is all so hard. Like, I know God called me to do this or he inspired me to do this, but this is a lot of work and I don't know if I want to do this. And it's like, and God's like, I gave you all, all the things, but you still have to pick up your shovel, right? Um, so with that, when you are stepping out, when you are when God's children are inspired to do what God has given them to do, they're going to meet resistance, right? I, I mean, I can just see like what's happening here and it goes into it. The resistance that Nehemiah meets is pretty substantial. Um, the ridicule that he goes through. I mean, people are basically laughing at him because they thought, they thought that this was the end of Jehovah God when they see the rubble of Jerusalem, like all of those pagan kingdoms surrounding Jerusalem, they're like, this is the end of the Jehovah God, the God that has struck fear in us for hundreds of years. This is the end of him. Look at his temple. Look at the wall like this. It was a reproach, like exactly what Nehemiah said. It was a reproach 
to God and to God's people. And then you get Nehemiah coming and he's never been there, doesn't know these people. And he gets there and he's like, hey, you know what? Like, I'm going to build this wall. We're going to do this. And people are like, we can do that. We can build a wall. Like, really? Like, I just, it cracks me up that nobody else like had thought of that plan before, (laughs) but they're living in it. Sometimes when you're living in the mess, you're living in the rubble, you don't see the way out. And some, sometimes somebody else can come in and be like, this is the solution, you know? Um, but God gave Nehemiah that vision, a man that had never been there, never knew the people. This wasn't his home, right? But his heart was in this place. And so they rose up and they started building the wall. And that's when, that's when the enemy shows up, right? That's when they are firstly, first it says they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. So they're like, oh no, like there's somebody that actually cares about these people. Like we're going to turn them into slaves. Like, right? Like I didn't know that somebody actually cared about them. And then they see that they're starting to gather to start to build. And um, it says Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it and they laughed at us and they despised us. And they said, what is this thing that you are doing? And I love Nehemiah's answer because he reminds them of who God is. And he says, so I answered them and I said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants will arise and we will build but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. So, so many times when we meet that resistance, we meet that ridicule, we meet that, um, that enemy coming against him, we need to remind him of who we are and who our God is more than anything, right? And remind them of what our covenant is with our God. And um, so many times I feel like, we hit that resistance when we're like, man, I know that God told me to do this. Like, I know that God told me to lead in 3C women when um, Lynette and Amy Fellini asked me to do this like six, six or seven years ago. And I've hit resistance in numerous ways or I've questioned like had that imposter sy- syndrome of like, what? who am I to be doing this? Like, seriously. Um, or I'm just too busy for this, or I don't have my priorities right, or anything like that. Many times I've hit those, the, that resistance. But so many times God has to remind me of who I am, and when I look to him, and I, I, I recognize who my God is, and that I serve this big God. And he has given me all the tools. I just got to pick up the shovel so many times, right? The cool part about this, and I'm not going to go too far into it. I don't even know what time clock's gone. It's, yeah. Okay, cool. I just didn't want it to be like rambling on Candace over here. Um, it's a really cool spot that I want to show you something because I, I feel like this is how God wants us to fight (laughs) and to also build or to do what he's asking us to do. So we're going to go to Nehemiah 4, 16. And so they, they hear of this plot. So that Sanballat guy, the Tobiah guy, the Arab, the, all the, all the Ite guys come against them. And they are plotting to attack the workers and to attack the people that are building this wall. And um, they hear about the plot. Like God brings and exposes that plot to the workers and to Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah's like, all right, boys, 
get your swords, get your knives, get all the things in the arms. The men and the women and the families, like whole families are working on this. Everybody's got a weapon. <laughs> They're like ready to go, but they continue to work. Even though they're afraid, they continue to work. Even when they're afraid for their lives, even in, like in the middle of the night when it's dark, they continue to work on this wall. And it's just absolutely amazing to me that these people and the perseverance that they go through. Um, so it says on 4.16, so it was from that time on that half of my ser- for servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other hand they held a weapon. And so many times scripture tells us that this is our weapon, Right? the sword of truth, like this is our weapon. And then we can be working over here, but we also have this, right? And then I love the song, this is how we fight our battles. Like worship of God, that is how we fight our battles. And so continuing to like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this God and I'm gonna continue to have this in my hand. So I've got my shovel over here and I've got my Bible in my other hand here, right? So to continually to keep that mindset that I'm not just going to leave all of this and walk over here and do God's word. And then I'm going to get run down, burnt out, forget my way, get out of off the path that God actually had me going on. Resent people that are around me or resent the people that I was working with. So, so many times we do that because we're only working with the shovel, right? So make sure you have, have your, your weapon with you as well. (laughs) Um, with all of that with that whole story and I encourage you to go read the whole story it's it's so good it's got so much just a story of perseverance and just working through it and um, beating the enemy when you know you have a calling on your life and I believe all of us have a calling on our life that's the other thing too and here is something that God showed me because I was like I know that for me and for seasons of my life, I'm like, I don't have anything big that I'm working on right now. Like, I'm a stay-at-home homeschooling mom. Like, I don't have anything big that I'm working on right now. Like, what? Like, that just seems... I know. (laughs) I know. I know. But it just seems like, you know, like... Maybe what I'm doing is mediocre compared to what Nehemiah was doing, building a wall or what, you know, anybody. You can name so many different people. But God showed me, he was like, yeah, Nehemiah built my wall and he built, you know, fortification around my temple. But then also the woman that came and wiped her, um, wiped her tear or wiped, sorry, wiped Jesus's feet and cleaned his feet with her tears and wiped him with her hair and everything like that. She, it says that she'll be remembered for generations in the word of God. And that was, if you want to talk about like the lowest job or the lowest thing ever, like wiping somebody's feet and cleaning their feet with your hair and your tears, it doesn't get much lower than that. Like if you put it on like the hierarchy of like things you're doing for God, but like that touched Jesus's heart. Like he, he's, he, he rebuked the men that were saying like, do you know who this is and everything like that? And he was like, what this woman did will be talked about for generations. We're still talking about her today, right? 
And nobody knew who Nehemiah was when I walked in here, right? I'm just joking. (laughs) Very few did. No. (laughs) But um, the thing that I, I, I see in this is three characteristics. And God showed me these because I was like, again, looking up the meanings of words. And Sheridan was doing like a little scripture notebook the other day. And um, <clears throat> 2 Timothy 2.15 was what she was copying and writing. And it says, uh, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I looked at that word diligent and I was like, huh, like what does that word actually mean? Like to me, diligent means like disciplined, like you're, you're doing it, you're doing the work of God, but it's actually not that. Um, they're, they're different. They may be similar in some instances, but they are different. So I looked up the meaning of diligence. And diligence means the conscientiousness or determination or perseverance when doing something. So it actually comes from the root word diligere, which I thought was really, really cool because it means to highly value to love or to choose. So diligence means that you're doing something from a place of love and honor. Um, And that's exactly what Nehemiah and the people building the wall were doing. They were doing it out of love for God and the honor of God, right? And that's what kept them doing it. Like they didn't stop doing it because of the resistance, because of the ridicule, because of the discouragement that was coming against them. They kept doing it because they kept that love of God and that honor of God out in front of them, and they were going to keep doing it. So even if it's the most mundane task, they're going to keep doing it, right? Um, and then I did, I the second word, the word discipline actually also came to me too. And I love what the definition of discipline also means. It says a controlled behavior or self-control. Self-control. It's showing up and doing the thing that you might not always feel like doing, but you know it's good for you or good for the cause. Sometimes you just have to do it, right? And um, one of the quotes that I love about discipline is from Abraham Lincoln. And it says, discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. So for those people building the wall, like right now could be cool. Like, hey, you know what? I'm going to drop my shovel and I'm going to go sit in the shade and take a nap. But that's when the enemy would probably attack them, right? That's when they were weak was when they were laying it down and walking away because the hard thing is to keep at it, to keep doing it. Um, and then the third word that God showed me to continue in what God's inspired you to do is the word vigilance. And vigilance means to stand guard, to be aware, don't be distracted. That's my definition anyways. I actually didn't look up the definition of it. I just knew what it was. So I was like, I'm going to put my little twist on this. Um, but that's in also in scripture too. First Peter 5, 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I think that's a good um, wake-up call for us women too, because so many times I feel like we're so distracted with life. We're distracted with the things that we're doing. We're distracted with you know, the things that we need to take care of, our responsibilities. And I know for me, um, it just happened to me a couple weeks ago. We were uh, moving cattle. It took us a couple hours to move them from, like, the farthest pasture we had all the way up to the house to to wean and brand 
calves and everything. And it was raining. And then the, also the, it was raining at one part. So I had a raincoat on and then the mosquitoes like came out like thick after the rain quit. And it was awful. So I had my raincoat over my head and I had like my hands tucked up under my sleeves and I was just sitting on my horse walking behind these cows and they're just walking really, really slow, very mundane, very boring, nothing fun happening. And I just remember, um, God like totally just talking to me. Like I was almost like zoned out and then God just like dropped this into me. And I'm like, man, I don't know I'm ashamed to even say, like, I don't even know the last time that happened because I don't know the last time I didn't have my phone right there with me. I don't know the last time I didn't have, like, you know, distractions of the world pulling at me or asking me to do things or anything like that. All I had to do was just sit on my horse and walk behind these cows. And God was able to speak to me so clearly and just to drop this thing that I've been praying about for a long time right into my heart right then. And I'm like, man, I need to do this more often. Like, I need to get unplugged and sometimes it's just the mundane things that you don't have to be thinking about doing that he is like all right finally here you go (laughs) so i just want to remind us as women to look for opportunities to do that like leave your phone at home go for a walk go do something that you're not all plugged in all the time um so bringing it all together that thing that God has placed inside of you because it's inside each one of us. And if you don't know what it is right now, find somebody who has something on their life and be like, hey, what can I do to help you? What are you doing? You know, like, is there something that I can jump in there with you and go? Like, I highly encourage you to do that if you're like the one that's sitting there going, I don't know what I'm, I don't have any God breathed inspiration right now, Candace. But if, And if you do have something or if God showed you in your childhood, maybe, maybe there was something that you loved to do as a kid and you're like, man, like, I still really like that. Like, maybe that was something that God showed me as a little kid that I was supposed to do now and I've just forgotten it or I've, you know, I was ridiculed for it or is discouraged by the world or by the enemy. You know, sometimes it just takes stirring that up. Sometimes it just takes praying about it. Um, Reading the word of God, sometimes I'll read it and I'll be like, man, like, that's exactly what I needed, right? So if it gets, if it gets dampered, stir it up, stir up those coals. Um, and the other thing too, is just like, man, hold that line that God gave you. So if you're, if you're thinking, okay, like I'm doing this, I'm stepping out, I'm going to keep on going, or I've been doing this for a long time and I've just hit these things. Like God is asking you to hold that line. And there's something that I wanted to read from uh, a book that, like you probably would laugh if you saw the cover of it, but it's called Discipline Equals Freedom and it's like by a Navy SEAL. But I love what this guy has to say. And he's talking about being vigilant in here too. Um, but this guy, he'd been on multiple tours in Iraq and um, now he's he just kind of helps people out. But this is what he has to say about being vigilant or holding that line. It wasn't in a war. It wasn't in a battle. It isn't in the melee of fire and destruction that most of us succumb to weakness. We are taken apart slowly, convinced to take an easier path, enticed by comfort. Most of us aren't defeated in one decisive battle. We are defeated one tiny, seemingly insignificant surrender at a time that chips away at who we should really be. If it isn't that you wake up and one day decide, that's it, I'm going to be weak. 
No, it's a slow incremental process. It chips away at your will. It chips away at your discipline. Um, And without realizing, one day you wake up and you have become something that you never would have allowed. Instead of strong, you are weak. Instead of disciplined, you are disorganized and lost. Instead of moving forward and progressing, you are moving backward and decaying. And those things happen without you seeing them, without you recognizing them. So you have to be vigilant. You have to be on guard. You have to hold the line on the seemingly insignificant little things that shouldn't matter, but they do. So... With that, I just want to leave you guys with that. I know it's kind of more on a downer note, but like for me, it's the little things that I forget to do. It's like, just like I talked about, like I, how long had it been since I actually was quiet and unplugged for God to speak to me? And if you're sitting there going, God doesn't speak to me. Well, we need to look at what we're doing with our lives. And I like what Pastor Lynette or Pastor Darren says, I can't remember, but they said, go back to the last thing that he told you. Maybe it was 15 years ago. (laughs) Maybe it was your childhood and you're like, that's the last thing I remember him showing me or I know that was from God. Sometimes it means that we have to go back to that. Or maybe we have to unplug and, or maybe we have to do something totally out of our comfort zone and lead a Bible study or do something, I don't know. But I just want to encourage you guys with that is that it's sometimes it's those little things that add up and those are actually surrenders that we're giving to the enemy instead of it's not one big surrender. It's those little surrenders that we're giving him during our day. It's the words we speak about ourselves. It's the words that we speak about other people. It's the conversations that we get drawn into that maybe we shouldn't be drawn into. Um, So ladies. I love you, and I know, I feel like I just rambled on tonight, but I hope that you guys got away. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> no, I hope that what God showed me, I was like, man, like, I want to share this with somebody, and you guys are the, always the ones that come to first in my mind when I get to share what God's been working on my heart, because I feel like, you know, he can speak uniquely to women a different way than he can speak to men. So I love that we can share that together today but i will end in prayer and if anybody has anything like i am so open to praying with you or if you just need encouragement like we've got a team of ladies here that would be happy to love on you and pray over you or do whatever but we like we're all we're all just humans and so we don't always have the answers and we're not perfect whatsoever so Um, Father God, I just thank you so much for every lady that came here tonight. I pray that she walks out of here, God, and she knows that, um, that you have a plan for her life, that you have put vision inside of her, that you've put your God's, your breath in the inside of her father. I pray that if she has something that you showed her a long time ago, that you would stir it up, Lord, that those embers that maybe aren't burning hot anymore, father, that you would blow on them and that they would burn hot again, father, and that you would bring people around her, um, that you would bring tools around her and finances around her or whatever it is for her to accomplish what you set in front of her to do, God. And I just thank you for um, just their hearts, that they're seeking after you, God. And I just pray that they wake up tomorrow morning, Father, with um, just a new hope inside of them and just a new, fresh word from you, God, as well. And I just pray over every woman here tonight that she doesn't leave here without knowing inside of her that 
you are her Lord and Savior. Then maybe she's questioned, like, am I really saved? Do I really know what I believe in God? That if she um, has any of those questions, that she would just, she would come and ask and seek and um, get the answer, Father. And if we can help her, if we can pray over her, Father, um, we're here to do that, God. And we just thank you for, for willing hearts and for the ladies that are leaving out of tonight, that they're powerful, that they're equipped, and that they're going to go and um, do majorly big and small things for the kingdom of God, Lord. And we just love you with that. In Jesus' name, amen.